Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everybody, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am well, I'm excited to talk about basketball because I just am recording this game immediately following Monday Night Football for the Denver Broncos. Uh, Broncos fans, uh, let's cry. That's uh, I think that's where we're all at as uh, fellow Broncos fans, if that's who you support. If not then you don't have to feel the pain. It's understandable. I would not want to feel the pain either. But it's a good thing that the that the Nuggets are starting up because they can, I think, take a little bit of the pain away for a lot of people that don't really want to focus on the Broncos anymore. On this podcast, we are going to do uh, some predictions. I think that's probably where this one's going to mostly go in the second and third segments, mostly regular season and playoff predictions for different teams. But in the first segment, I wanted to cover some overflow questions from the mailbag. I had a ton of great questions. There was a lot of content. I tried to answer as many questions as I possibly could on my mailbag on milehighsports.com. So make sure to go check that one out. That was over 2,500 words, not necessarily a flex, but I answered 11 questions and wanted to answer them each in depth. So that's just kind of what happens. So Check that one out. But here are some of the honorable mentions, questions that I didn't use for one reason or another. I tried to sift through as many of them as I possibly could. Let's start with Ben. He asks, seems like Zeke has worked hard this offseason, but still can't crack the rotation. Why is that? And here's the thing. Michael Malone has said that he's going to use two backup centers this year. He's going to, He said that there are going to be nights for DeAndre Jordan. And there are some nights for Zeke Naji. And it's too bad that Zeke has not been able to outright outperform DeAndre Jordan and win that job by himself. It's probably going to have to go into the season. It's too bad because this is kind of a positional change for Zeke Naji. It's not necessarily what he was envisioning himself doing in the first two years of his career. So it was always going to be an adjustment. But here's the thing. The Nuggets bench unit, they need specific things from that center. DeMarcus Cousins, when he was on the bench unit last year, showed that if you can put pressure on the rim, or at least take some attention away from the pick and roll attack, then that is going to be extremely helpful. There are different ways to do that. With DeMarcus Cousins, he was doing it as more of a pick and pop guy and then a facilitator. With DeAndre Jordan, I think he's going to be able to put some pressure on the rim or at least a little bit more than Zeke can because Zeke is only 6'9 and 240-ish. He might be listed at 250, but he was 240 before, that's for sure. And it's going to take some time for him to get adjusted to that. It's going to take some time for Michael Malone to trust him. Zeke is only 21 years old still. He's, He's just got a long way to go. It's not like he can't break into the rotation soon. If it's clear that DeAndre Jordan is not the guy, then I think that Zeke will get a lot more opportunities and Denver will probably turn to him a little bit more frequently. But as of this moment, I would still, I think that DeAndre Jordan is probably going to be the guy most nights, at least out of the gate. Hopefully that changes because I think Zeke is a very good player. I think he's a guy who should be in Denver's rotation, who could be helpful in a playoff setting. I don't think DeAndre Jordan could be helpful in a playoff setting. So if this is just about getting through the regular season, then it would be DeAndre. But Denver has more goals to get through and they they have higher expectations. 
So I would be trying to work in Zeke, see what he can provide, get him ready for a potential playoff series, but that's just me. It doesn't always work like that. Omar asks, shout out Omar, should the Nuggets just go all in on being small, small and run? Ish, Bones, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, Zeke Naji. There is something to it, right? Like, I think that would be a fun lineup. There are going to be some matchup issues with that lineup on, against some benches, especially benches that stagger some good, versatile wings, maybe some good, versatile centers. Those would be pretty difficult for Denver to handle in that particular small group. But if you're just trying to keep pace with the opposing team, then that's probably the best lineup to do it with, right? Ish, Bones, and Bruce are going to get out and run. They're going to get under people's skin on the defensive end, and there's enough playmaking and high IQ there, and there's enough spacing with Jeff Green and Zeke Naji in the front court that it should be a lineup that scores. The only question is, is it a lineup that can defend at a reasonable level? I don't think it's one that Michael Malone is going to try immediately, but don't be surprised if he gets to it at some point and then it turns out pretty good. If there is an all-bench unit that can be sustainable, that has as good of a chance as any of them, I think. With Ish playing the way that he played in the preseason, Bones kind of feeding off of that, Bruce Brown doing Bruce Brown things, and then Jeff and Zeke kind of trying to hold down the front court, that's not bad. That could be fine. Rob asks, is the trend saying the Nuggets will win the most regular season games valid with the resting and load managing that Jamal and or MPJ will do, especially early in the season? I think this is an interesting question because you're right that Denver kind of, they, they're walking the line here with, okay, you're, you have a really talented team. This is a group that should win a lot of games, if healthy. On the other hand, they're going to rest. They're going to load manage. They're going to be situations, especially disadvantaged situations on back-to-backs, where Denver's not going to have a full complement of players. So can they go into those places and still win games? I think the answer is yes, especially early on, because like you said, early in the season, let's call that the first 20 games or so. I talked about this on last podcast, that Denver's first 19 games, they only have two back-to-backs. And so, and actually both of them are against the OKC Thunder. So even if Denver goes one and one in those and they just happen to drop a game to OKC because it feels like they always do, if they go one and one in those situations, then those are their only real rest disadvantage games that they have to play. They have to play some road games, but everybody has to play some road games. It's not really that bad. And the travel will not necessarily impact Jamal or Michael Porter nearly as much as just playing back-to-backs. And so they're not going to do that in a likelihood. Maybe Porter will, but Murray certainly will be load-managed early in the season. And I can understand some skepticism here. They're saying, okay, Denver's going to win a lot of regular season games, but they're not going to have their full complement. Can can both of those things be true? I think the answer is yes, because I think with Nikola Jokic, with the formula that Denver has around him, He has found ways to win in disadvantaged situations before. Last season, they ran a starting lineup that had Monte Morris, Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, and Nikola Jokic. If they miss one of Murray or Porter this year, then that let's say they miss Murray. Then that means you're probably going with a lineup that features Bones Highland, KCP, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. Michael Porter replaces Jeff Green. Bones Highland replaces Monte Morris. KCP replaces Will Barton. Still think that's a better group. That's a more talented group. And Denver's bench is still pretty good too. So I have to imagine they'll be able to get through many of those games, even if they could lose one here or there that they wouldn't necessarily have lost had Murray been fully healthy. But I do think that most of the time, they're going to be able to get through it in the regular season because other teams have to deal with injuries too. It's not just the Nuggets. They'll be resting guys, but other teams will be resting their guys as well. 
Nikola Jokic propaganda account. He asks, or she, what are our weaknesses that you noticed in the preseason and how likely are we to improve in those areas? So in the preseason, you're not necessarily trying to highlight weaknesses. You're really trying, I mean, because sometimes it can all be boiled down to effort where if I, if I say the defense was really bad in the two losses and that Denver, man, they just didn't have enough defensively. They couldn't stay in front of guys. Well, is that different if they're trying? Is that different if it's a regular season or even a playoff intensity? I don't know. I can't really say for sure. But based off of what we saw, Denver's defense was not where it needed to be. There were some moments where it was. I think Ish Smith when he was talking about how Denver had improved defensively, he cited that Denver only held uh, the Clippers to 115. And I thought to myself, man, 115 is still kind of a high number. <laughs> like that's, uh, that's not necessarily a lot to write home about. So if Denver's good defensive performances are still pretty average when it comes to the rest of the NBA, then that could be an area where we look back on and say, yeah, we thought that the defense was going to be a lot better. As it turns out, it wasn't because Denver just kind of cycled through different players and they have too many moving parts in their defensive scheme. Now, I think that that can still improve and a lot of it is just going to be effort and focus related. But if I had to pick one area, it's still the defense. It's still making sure that Nikola Jokic is playing with full effort when trying to wall off the rim, when trying to contest and, and get back to uh, different reads in the pick and roll and things like that. There's a lot that he has to manage and there's a lot that you don't necessarily want to do in a preseason context, but keep an eye on it. I think that Denver's going to start the year relatively good on the defensive end, but I could be wrong. The unknown, he asks or she, who will be the leading nugget for the five major stat categories? I think this is fascinating because most of the time it's Jokic. Most of the time there's there's no reason to pick anybody other than Jokic. So start with the easy one, points per game. Actually, it's not easy. That's actually probably one where you could argue some other folks. While I do think Jokic is going to take a step back as a scorer, I don't think anybody is going to take enough of a step forward with the shooting opportunities and the overall mentality to really overtake him and supplant him as the top scorer on the team. So I'm going to say Jokic there. Jokic for rebounding, Jokic for assists. Those are two pretty easy ones. Steals, that's a tough one. I would probably say KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. If he's going to put in a lot of effort on the defensive end, he's going to be out there for a lot of minutes. And while Bruce Brown will have a potential uh, case for it, and while Nikola Jokic still has a potential case for it, I think he led the team in steals this past year. I do think KCP is going to be out there for 30 plus minutes a night. And if he's very focused in on the defensive end, then he'll get a lot of steals where he's just playing team defense and making things difficult in the passing lanes for people. And then blocks. This is another tough one because with Denver, like Jokic is the center, but he doesn't really rack up that many blocks, is it going to be more or less than the number of blocks Michael Porter could rack up or Aaron Gordon? Is there anybody else that could accumulate more blocks than those three? I don't think so. I'll say hmm, Aaron Gordon doesn't rack up as many as you'd think. I'm going to say Michael Porter. We'll, we'll just we'll go after that one. I know that he he hasn't put in as much on the defensive front as he probably should when it comes to regular season time. But I think if he's going to be out there for 30 plus minutes, he'll probably average about a block a game. I don't know if Jokic will get to a block a game. If he did, that would be cool. That would be great. But if Porter gets to a block a game, I think that he will probably be the leader. And then finally, Ryan Freemeyer, he asks, Number one reason the Nuggets will win the title this year, and number one reason the Nuggets will not win the title this year, assuming they are healthy. So I can't use health as the degrading factor here. We'll say for the reason that they will win the title, 
if I can't use health, then I'm just going to say that Michael Porter has fully integrated himself onto both ends of the floor and is capable of playing those high leverage minutes. Teams are going to go after him. They're going to attack him. And he is going to have to respond in kind. I thought he looked pretty good in the preseason. I don't know if that's going to go away in the regular season when things kind of roll around or if it's going to go away in the playoffs when things really start to roll around. But I do think that he wants to be out there. And I think that he wants to put in the requisite effort to get out on the court. And it's going to take a little bit, but I think that he'll be out there for most of Denver's important minutes because of the talent that he is on the offensive end. And because he can do some good things on the defensive end, he just has to really focus in on those good things and keep making them great. I thought one of the underrated storylines in the playoffs last year, or not last year, in 2021, was when the shooting kind of started to go and he started being really bothered by the way teams were playing him physically. He didn't really compensate with a lot of rebounding, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly here. Uh, let me just take a look at that real quick just to make sure I'm not insane. If I recall, I think he was closer to like five rebounds per game or so. Man, this is really good podcasting content as I try to stall. Okay, playoffs, he averaged 6.7 rebounds in the bubble and 6.2 in 33 minutes per game in 2021. I think he can do more than that. I think he could absolutely do more. There's more for him to go. And as he continues to improve on that front, if that's something that he can really focus in on, then if he's averaging like 20 points, eight rebounds, still shooting 40% from three, then he's going to have to be out there. He's too good. Now, the number one reason the Nuggets will not win the title this year, I think it's probably... If their defensive lineup that they run out there with, if, if it's going to be Murray, KCP, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic, if it's going to be that group, then I'm going to go ahead and guess that they don't do enough defensively in those strong minutes. If they can't do enough defensively in those strong minutes, if that's going to be Denver's go-to group with Murray and Jokic out there, and they still can't get it done, then that will be the reason. Those guys, they're going to have to defend. They're going to have to find a way to guard the likes of the Warriors, the Suns, the Clippers, and a lot of other teams that may challenge them in the first or second round of the playoffs. They're going to have to get through it. They're going to have to figure it out. And we're going to have to see what it looks like. But if that group can't defend, Denver will not win the title. thats I don't think that's breaking any news. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to go to conference predictions. I'm going to do win-loss records for every team. And then in the third segment, we're going to do playoff predictions. We will be right back. But first, folks, football is back. I know you don't necessarily want to hear that right now, but nobody is more excited than your friends over at Superbook Sports. They'll console you. They'll bring Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands and now they'll match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy football this fall. Just visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting it on all of the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Back, pickaxe and roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's talk now about conference predictions for each of the Western and Eastern conferences. I'm going to start with the West here. And anybody that caught my podcast with Anilo Piro, that was more focused on the over-under side of things. I shared a lot of my win totals during that. These are going to be more or less the same from that podcast, but I did want to focus in give everybody kind of a picture of what I'm expecting. It's going to be fun. It's going to be pretty interesting to see how this breaks down. And you guys can all hold me accountable if I'm completely wrong on somebody, but 
Should be a lot of fun. Let's get into it. First, the Western Conference. Number one, the first seed in the Western Conference. I've got the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's uh, probably a big old jinx. That's probably what's going on here. But I see this team winning 55 games. 55 and 27 is the record projection that I have for them. Right below them, I have the Los Angeles Clippers at two, at 54 and 28. I don't see any teams really breaking past that 55 win barrier that much. There's going to be a lot of good talent out there in the NBA this year. The Lakers are improved. The Blazers are improved. The Kings are improved. Uh, New Orleans is improved. Minnesota's improved. Atlanta, New York, Cleveland, Toronto, Philly. All of these teams, especially towards the top, are, are pretty well improved. And even not towards the top, like the depth in each of these conferences is good enough that I think there are definitely going to be some moments where some of the teams at the top don't necessarily get the wins that they would be expecting. And that's fine. You're going to have a little bit more of a you're going to have a little bit more of a compressed win-loss total. You're not going to get as many 15-win teams or 65-win teams anymore. I just don't really believe that that's going to happen, even though Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes are coming. I don't think that OKC and San San Antonio are going to go that far below. I have Denver at 55 and 27, Clippers at 54 and 28, got the Warriors at 52 and 30, the Phoenix Suns at 51 and 31. And then I've got a tie for fifth between Minnesota and New Orleans at 48 and 34. That's the cutoff for the playoffs versus the play in, which means that the Memphis Grizzlies and the Dallas Mavericks, even though I have them each projected at 47 and 35, just one game below each of those teams right above them, Memphis and Dallas are in the play in. They would be facing the Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers at 38 and 44 and 37 and 45. The Sacramento Kings, oh boy, I'm so sorry, Sacramento, you just barely miss. You go 36 and 46, you improve on your over-under, but you don't get into the playoffs. That's going to be a sad state of affairs there. Houston at 25 and 57, tied with Utah at 25 and 57, OKC at 21 and 61, and San Antonio at 20 and 62. So a couple things here. The West is pretty strong one through eight. There's a lot of teams I think that you could argue could be the leading winner in the Western Conference. From Phoenix, who was the winner last year, to the Clippers, to the Golden State Warriors, who started last season 18-2. and two. Memphis had 56 wins. If they just repeat that, then they'd be at the top of my win projections for this year. New Orleans, they're getting back Zion Williamson and should be a much more functional, talented basketball team this year. And then Dallas just went to the Western Conference Finals. All of these teams are good. There is a clear cutoff from 1-8, to eight and then dropping down to 9 to 11, and then dropping down again to 12 to 15. And so Denver's going to have to battle. They're going to have to be, they're going to be challenged pretty much every step of the way here. They're not going to get it easy. They're going to have to go into matchups against the Clippers and the Warriors and the Suns and all the teams in between and really focus up. If they do that, then they have the capability to win the Western Conference in the regular season. 55 wins, it's not crazy. Maybe one of the teams that I've projected below them exceeds 55 wins, and then Denver's the two seed instead. But I think that Denver's going to win a lot of games. 48 wins last year without Murray and Porter. You add back in those guys, even if they play just like 60 games apiece, that's 120 games that they didn't play last year, 111 games because Porter played nine, that they didn't play last year. So you're going to get that overall talent increase 
Not to mention the talent, I think, fits better this season than it did last year. It's going to be much better if Jokic is healthy and playing 70 to 75 games, which he almost always he always does, then there should be no reason for Denver to go, go below 50 wins. The question is whether they get up to around 55 or 58 or even 60. I have them at 55 because there is a reasonable thought that they're going to miss some of these games when they rest, when Murray and Porter are out, or let's say Bones goes down with a rolled ankle, the bench doesn't come to play. There are definitely reasons to be skeptical, but not as skeptical as last year, not nearly as so. So I think they're going to be really, really good. The Clippers are going to load manage. The Warriors are going to load manage too. They've also got turmoil. Phoenix, I think they're more of a flash in the pan from last year. But I do think that they're still going to be a 50-plus win team. The question is whether any of Minnesota, New Orleans, Memphis, or Dallas will also join them as 50-win teams. I don't necessarily think they will. But I could see, let's say, a couple extra losses here or there to OKC, San Antonio, Utah, Houston. And then some of those extra wins go to Minnesota, New Orleans, Memphis, Dallas. I could see that. But it's hard to separate that group. I think the Phoenix has elevated themselves above that group. But I really do think that the top three of Denver, LA Clippers, and Golden State, I think that makes a lot of sense. Then in the East, not necessarily anything crazy here. Uh, I'm only going to go through the first 10 teams because nobody really cares about the bottom of the East here. Number one, the Milwaukee Bucks. Pretty evergreen take. It's hard to bet against Giannis. I have them at 54 and 28. It's pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. I don't think there's any reason to think that they're going to win fewer that many fewer games than that. Although Chris Middleton is not going to start the season, they are going to have Brooke Lopez back. He's going to be playing way more games than he did last year. They should be really, really good. The Philadelphia 76ers, as Nuggets fans may unfortunately think, will also be very good. I have them at 53 and 29. A lot of people have Philly being at the top of the of the East. They think that the talent that they have between their top three guys and Harden, Embiid, and Maxi, as well as the depth that they picked up over the course of this past offseason, they think that that fits way better than it did last year. And they're probably right. But I just don't think that given all of the other improvements that the rest of the Eastern Conference made, they're also going to have some bad games where Tyrese Maxey doesn't shoot as well as everybody probably expects, or Embiid misses a game, or Harden goes 2 of 11 because he seems to like to do that. So there will be times where they just can't really keep up with a team that shoots hot. And that could be any of... Boston, Toronto, Brooklyn, Cleveland, Miami, Atlanta, any of those teams. They could realistically beat any of Milwaukee and Philly, especially while Milwaukee is hampered with a Chris Middleton absence. But those teams are at the top. Number three, the Boston Celtics, 52 and 30. They're going to be really good too. Number four, I'm kind of hedging my beliefs on Toronto. I have them at 50 and 32. 50 wins for the Toronto Raptors. They've improved their team. They are very talented, very, very versatile. Whether, like if, if Fred Van Vliet plays a bunch of games, if Gary Trent Jr. plays a bunch of games, then they're going to have enough guard depth to get through the season. If not, then this could look pretty foolish because while Scotty Barnes is very good, while Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi are both very good, there's a lot riding on Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. because they just don't have good options behind them at all. So they could be really good, especially given their top-end talent. But if that top-end talent gets injured, I could see this crumbling. Same thing with Brooklyn, to be honest. I have them also tied at fourth at 50 and 32. We're going to see what Ben Simmons looks like. But either like it, Kyrie Irving's going to play more games I think Kevin Durant's going to play more games than he did play last year. 
I have to imagine that those two will just carry more wins than what happened last year. And then Ben Simmons, whatever you get from him, that'll just be a good addition. Cleveland, trading for Donovan Mitchell. I have them at 49 and 33 and in sixth place. Miami, I have them dropping all the way down to seven at 46 and 36. They lost P.J. Tucker, didn't really replace him. They have some role players that they may try to replace him with, but they didn't really replace him talent-wise. And that's probably the most important thing. This team is less talented than they were last year. They always have health issues. They're never going to be one of those teams that exceeds 70 games played from all of their main guys. So I have them at 46 and 36 because the East is just better than it was. I've been tied with Atlanta, 7 and 8 at 46 and 36. Chicago, 43 and 39. And then New York at 40 and 42. That'll be your main playoff and play-in groups for the Eastern Conference. That's my expectation. Could be completely wrong. I don't see anybody really seriously challenging that group. Uh, Let me just confirm to make sure that's true. Uh, Is there anybody? Charlotte, I have at 30 wins. Detroit, I have at 31. Indiana, 24. Orlando, 28. Who am I missing? Who am I missing from that group? Um, Washington, 30. Uh, Yeah, it's just like there's not a lot of good talent outside of that top 10. Nobody really, like even though Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are currently on the Indiana Pacers, that team is not going to be good. And anybody that expects them to be good, I just I just don't see it. So going to have to wait and see on that front. But either way, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do playoff predictions, both for the West and East, and then crown a preseason NBA champion. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you're new to the program and you haven't yet subscribed, please do. Please follow the show. Make sure you get all of the latest episodes. I post five per week, and I'm going to do so during this regular season for the Nuggets. Going to be a lot of content. And I'm traveling with the team, or not, not with the team, but I'm traveling on Wednesday morning to Salt Lake City. So that should be a lot of fun. Going to go see the season opener, cover the game in person, and I hope everybody follows me along on Twitter, and I will have a or an article from there and a podcast and also some social content from there. Should be a lot of fun. All right, let's do playoff predictions now. Everybody's doing their playoff predictions. I've seen the most common finals pick right now is Clippers versus Bucks. I'm not sure why that is. I guess both teams seem super safe because with the Bucks, you're betting on the best player or second best player, depending on how you feel about Yoke in the world. And you're going to bet on the depth and the star power up top of the Clippers. That was kind of the narrative the last time the Clippers really had these high expectations and things kind of came crashing down in the bubble. This is a different team than that in different circumstances, obviously, but the same questions still do persist. Like That's not going to change. And they also just have major health concerns, probably more major than Denver. So I don't know. Like I think, uh, I think that's a tough one. But either way, let's discuss Western Conference playoff field. If I'm going by my playoff standings, I'm going to assume that each of the seven and eight seeds win their respective play-in games or seven wins versus eight, and then eight wins versus nine or 10. That's how the play-in works. Uh, Just to make sure to keep all of this even. Right now, I have Denver at the one seed versus Dallas at the eight seed. Jokic versus Luka, probably not the matchup that everybody would have hoped for. But I have Denver advancing in that one. 
I see this as one where Denver really gets warmed up in their pick and roll coverage. Going to be tough, but I just don't see Dallas having the firepower to be able to keep up with the Nuggets. Maybe they do. Maybe Luka can do it all by himself. But Jokic is going to be going up against JaVale McGee, Christian Wood, Maxi Kaliba, and Dwight Powell. Like I, I think I edged, edged to Denver on that one. Two, the LA Clippers in the second seed versus the seventh seed Memphis Grizzlies. This is an interesting matchup, but I have the Clippers advancing here. They're talented enough. They're versatile enough. They can throw a lot of defenders at John Morant, especially a lot of length. And it just doesn't seem like the Memphis Grizzlies have the requisite wing depth and versatility that they would need to guard a team like the Clippers. Maybe Jaron Jackson comes back and you slide him to the five and then you're just really good on that front. But I can definitely see a player like Nicholas Batum really getting under Jaron Jackson's skin as the small ball five in that kind of series. So I think the talent between Kawhi Leonard and Paul George is probably going to win out here. And they have enough other guys that you can really just, I think you can see this working out for the Clippers. Number three, the third seed Golden State Warriors versus the sixth seed New Orleans Pelicans. Interesting matchup. Hadn't given it too much thought. I just penciled in Golden State to advance. But if you've got somebody like Jose Alvarado chasing around Steph Curry, that's pretty funny. That would be pretty good. But even if it's not him, if you've got Herb Jones, if you've got CJ McCollum chasing him around, who's going to guard Zion Williamson on the Golden State Warriors? Is it Draymond? If that's a matchup that Draymond, like Draymond will get the better of him at various points, but Zion just will overpower him too. Like that's one of those things where Draymond, because he has lost a little bit of a step as, as an older veteran, Zion might put him through the rim a couple times and he'll definitely put Andrew Wiggins or uh, Clay Thompson or guys like that. He'll definitely win that matchup, but I still have Golden State advancing. New Orleans is an intriguing team though. Number four, the four seed Phoenix Suns versus the five seed Minnesota Timberwolves. Didn't really need to give this a lot of thought. This is definitely a matchup where Phoenix should excel. They should advance. Taking advantage of centers and pick and roll is something that Phoenix just does really well. And Minnesota, their offense is just not going to be talented enough to keep up. They have Anthony Edwards and he's really good. But Carl Anthony Towns, he will get disrupted with a lot of what they do. Now, do they have enough size to match up with Towns? Who do they play on Towns? Do they play uh, DeAndre Ayton? Do they play Cam Johnson? Do they trade for somebody a little bit bigger when they trade Jay Crowder and maybe get somebody like the equivalent of a Thaddeus Young or somebody like that? I think that should be the route that Phoenix goes because this could be a sneaky matchup where Towns might just dominate whoever they put in front of him. But if that's the case, I still think the Phoenix is going to dominate more, in which case I have Phoenix advancing. Semifinals, first seed Denver versus fourth seed Phoenix. I have Denver advancing. I have them getting their revenge. This is one of those matchups where you look at it on paper and you don't necessarily like the Devin Booker and Chris Paul going at Michael Porter, going at Nikola Jokic. That's going to be tough. But there's a lot of revenge factor to this one for sure. The Nuggets know that they can beat the Phoenix Suns. They they feel that. They know that they missed out on an opportunity due to health. And I know that Jamal Murray feels that too. Who on the Suns is going to be able to guard him? Is it going to be Chris Paul? Is it going to be Devin Booker? It's probably Booker, in which case I like that matchup for Denver. Can Booker really handle what Denver's doing with their two-man game? I just don't think so. And then if it's Mikhail Bridges on him, then that's one less defender for Michael Porter Jr. to have to deal with, in which case I like that for Denver. I just do. They're going to have enough talent. And though Phoenix is going to score on them, they are going to find ways to be successful. 
I think that Denver is going to be even more potent. So Denver advances. Number two, Clippers as the two seed versus the Warriors as the three seed. This is a juicy matchup. This is one where, man, it's it's very theoretical, very switchable. This is a lineup where team both teams are going to be com- like they're going to be competing to go smaller than the other team. Maybe they'll put Kawhi Leonard at center or Paul George at center for the Clippers. And then they'll put Draymond at center on the opposing side. If not him, they might go Andrew Wiggins, which that'll be pretty funny too. But either way, both of these teams are going to play small. They're going to play switchable. That's the direction that this matchup is going to go. And I like the Clippers options in a game like that. They can go isolation. They can really break down what the Warriors do well when it comes to the Warriors running their system. I think that the Clippers are going to be a team that if they switch competently, they have enough guys that if they do the same thing on the offensive end, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Norman Powell, even a guy like John Wall could break down the defense. They have guys that can excel in isolation. Not sure if the Warriors have that in this particular matchup. This would be the toughest team that the Warriors play, so I'd be picking the Clippers here. That leaves Denver as the one versus LA as the two. Nuggets versus Clippers. This is a fun matchup because it's slightly different from how it was in the bubble, but fundamentally it's the same. Where you've got Denver and their two-man game, you've got their versatility on the wing, this time with Aaron Gordon instead of Jeremy Grant. You've got Michael Porter out there. You've got Jeff Green in place of Paul Millsap. And you've got Bruce Brown in place of Gary Harris. And KCP in place of Torrey Craig? Or maybe you flip those. Maybe you have KCP in place of Gary Harris and Bruce Brown in place of Torrey Craig. That's good for Denver. That's a good upgrade. And though the Clippers are also clearly better, they are well-versed. Zubach is a better player than he was. They have better backup options for sure. I think that Denver wins this matchup because I don't think that LA can play the small ball that they want to against Denver. Or if you're going to have Nicholas Batum guard him or Robert Covington guard him, the Nuggets know how to take advantage of that. They'll play the passing lanes, but ultimately, they'll also find ways to get Jokic the ball about six feet away from the basket, in which case he's going to finish those shots at an absurd rate because that's just what he does. So I have Denver winning that matchup. Moving over to the East, we'll do this one a little bit quicker. Milwaukee versus Atlanta in the first round. Milwaukee advances there. They don't have anybody that can match up with Giannis. That's just, that's a matchup hell for them. Philly versus Miami, a rematch of last year's playoffs. I have Philly advancing as the two seed over Miami as the seven seed. I just think that Philly is going to be better than where they were last year. And if we assume that Joel Embiid is healthy, if we assume that James Harden is healthier than he was, that Tyrese Maxey is one year better, then I think that it's fair to put Philly ahead of Miami here. Boston versus Cleveland. Boston advances because Cleveland just does not have enough wings to match up with a team like Boston. Who's going to guard Jason Tatum? Who's going to guard Jalen Brown? Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, while they have their own problems that they pose to a team like Boston, Boston's so good defensively. They're going to be one of those teams that could just really swallow those guys up. Like They're going to be able to guard the smaller guys, switch onto them with a lot of capable players, whether it's Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Derek White off the bench, or Grant Williams, Al Horford, Robert Williams. They just have such great defenders. So I think Boston advances there. And then Toronto versus Brooklyn. This is a classic one where you've got both teams that are very switchable and they're going to go isolation. I think that Brooklyn's just better in that regard. Toronto, though they have plenty of talent and that talent can be capable as scorers, I think that Brooklyn will excel there. Though they do have 
like Toronto has the perfect crew, I think, to switch and match up with Kevin Durant. Not necessarily Fred Van Vliet, but Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam. All three of those guys would be great switching on to Durant. I still think Durant is the best player by far in that series, and that elevates them for sure. Second round, Milwaukee versus Brooklyn. This is a fun one because you get to rehash the Giannis versus Durant matchup. But Milwaukee, like I think Brooklyn's still very ill-equipped to deal with Giannis. And assuming that both teams are fully healthy, sure, Ben Simmons will be out there. But he also might struggle in matchups like that. He's going to be the mark in a lot of cases. And I just don't think he has the size to match up with a guy like Giannis. I think this has been proven pretty consistently. But we'll see. We will see whether he can do that. I do think that Giannis is just one of those guys that will wear him out. Though, given that Ben Simmons just has to be like that third or fourth scoring option as opposed to the first or second. He might be able to just be a defensive specialist in a series like that and have Kyrie and Kevin Durant just do their thing. It's just hard to trust that, though. I'm going with Milwaukee. Philly versus Boston. This is a really tough one. A lot of what I think, I, I think Boston would give them a lot of issues. This is going to be a really, really challenging series for both teams. But I think I just I believe that Joel Embiid is very good. And I think that they have this formula as their one five pick and roll, their two five pick and roll, isolating Joel Embiid. That is going to be hard for Boston to stop, even if they have a great, great defense. I think Philly is definitely capable. So I'm giving Philly the nod here. But I am giving Milwaukee the nod over Philly in the Eastern Conference Finals. Milwaukee, like you have Giannis, he can match up with Embiid. But you also have Brooke Lopez who can do it too. They have a much better cast, I think, to really give Philly some issues. Drew Holiday is still one of the best defensive guards in the world. I think that Philly loses their run here. Milwaukee advances. And then you've got your dream NBA Finals. Denver versus Milwaukee. Jokic versus Giannis. Matchup between international stars. A matchup between teams that... When they clash, they're always very fun games, I think. Mostly fun for Denver, though. Denver's had good matchups against Milwaukee. They play them really well. They do a lot of good things. I think that's going to continue, honestly. Giannis can guard Embiid in that physical way. He has the athleticism to go side to side with Embiid and not commit fouls but he also has the strength to hold up in that matchup. Jokic will just shoot the ball over him. And there's just not a lot that Giannis can do in that situation. So do you play Giannis on Aaron Gordon? And then you have Brooke Lopez guarding Jokic. Can Denver get up and down the floor? Would Michael Porter in that situation be excellent? I think that he would. I think you've got Murray. He would be guarded by Drew Holiday in that situation, that would definitely be a tough matchup for him for sure. But he has the capability to be successful even while Drew Holiday is on him. And then you've got Denver. Like I just think they have a better depth situation than a team like Milwaukee does. Where Milwaukee, they sort of struggle after you get to number six or number seven in their rotation. Bobby Portis, Pat Conton, I think that Denver goes a little bit deeper than them, which that should really interest Nuggets fans because if Bones Highland, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, Zeke Naji, guys like that, if they're the ones that turn the series, that'll be really, really interesting. But either way, I have Denver winning that series in six games. I think that Jokic can do his thing in that series. I think that Porter can really do his thing in that series. Chris Middleton's a good defender, but he's not a great defender. And Porter, as he continues to get better, there's a lot to like about that. I don't think the Bucks are super hard to guard for a team like the Nuggets. They just lock in, play with their three big guys with Jokic, MPJ, and Gordon. 
and you just outscore Milwaukee from there. You don't have to do everything crazy against Giannis. You just have to make sure to outscore that team. I think Denver can do that. So call me a homer. Call me a homer for sure, but I'm putting it on record. I think the Nuggets win the NBA title this year. I think this is the year for them to do it. It's going to be a little bit slower going at the beginning. But if Murray and Porter progress the way that Nuggets fans think they can, then there's no reason why this team can't win the title. None. They'll have the best offense in the world. They'll have an improved defense. And if you match up consistently with a fully healthy complement of players, Denver has answers for just about everybody. I really do believe that. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I think I'll be back tomorrow, probably posting something late Tuesday night, uh, talking about maybe awards picks, things like that. But more than anything, just previewing Denver's game on Wednesday against the Utah Jazz. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys very soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.